We'll have that on our website. It's actually on our website now under missions or ministries. If you go down to the bottom of those pages, there's Operation Christmas Child. But we are going to put that up on the homepage for, uh, for easy access as well, too. So with that said, let's jump into our study on John 18. So we're going to be in John 18, verse 11. Just going to take one verse today um, and, and dig into this. It's John uh, 18, verse 11. And it says, so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So Jesus is speaking to Peter again. Peter apparently had a sword pulled out. If we look at verse 10 before that, he pulled out that sword, he drew it, and he struck the high priest's slave, and he cut off his right ear. And that's when Jesus said, put the sword away, put it back. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So those of you that have been with us, this is, uh, we're coming to uh, the point where Jesus is about to go to the cross. We have, um, we have four chapters of the final discourse that Jesus spoke to his disciples. It was like a, just a constant Jesus just giving them instructions for when he leaves on how to be that new human race, how to be that kingdom person, those kingdom people to represent and to launch the church. And throughout that whole time, Peter was always very, very ambitious, very bold, very protective. You have to love the apostle Peter. He was someone that would, he would jump up in front of Jesus and say, hey, listen, you say you're going to let people arrest you and you're going to be given over to the hands of men, you know, in a nutshell, over my dead body. I'll never let that happen. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're saying here. He ultimately said to him, get behind me, Satan. That's how off Peter was. But again, one of the main reasons that I love the apostle Peter was he was a fisherman. He liked to fish, but he was also a man's man. He was bold. He was a protector. He never seemed to back down from a challenge. And of course, he even packed a nice knife, which many of you men I see in your pockets when you come in here. Knives are welcome. Just keep them in your pocket in case we need them. No, we're not. This isn't a pacifistic message. This isn't a Jesus saying, hey, we're not fighters here. We're just, you know, this this was not the time to stand up and take a physical stance. And the sword that Peter packed wasn't a big old sword. It was a small little dagger kept probably right inside of his belt. Jesus told him, this is what must happen so that I can go and do what God has given me to do. Now, Peter must have felt silly because he's trying to protect Jesus. And as he's doing that, Jesus is going around uh, reversing the enemy's wounds. So Peter's thinking he's protecting him. He cuts off Malchus's ear, clean off. Um, and in Luke, it says that Jesus just touched his ear. And I know, I, I think in one of the modern movies that portrayed Jesus in the Passion, it may have been the Passion of the Christ, it looks like Jesus takes the ear off the ground and puts it back on. Now, I don't know if he did that or not, but the scripture definitely says he touched his ear. But Peter, his bold personality was getting him into trouble again in this scripture. 
And I suppose we can say that he was trusting in his sword, quote unquote sword, rather than listening to Jesus. So Jesus had to drink the cup the father gave him. And Peter seemed to forget this prior conversation. And I believe the reason I'm only taking this one little scripture today is because I believe more than anything that we often do the same thing. We trust in ourselves, in our own, act, uh, our, our own resources, rather than taking that cup that maybe God is putting in front of us to have to consume. We tend to gravitate, and I want you to think about this. What are some of the swords in your life that you gravitate to? Some of the things that you rely upon in your life that you know if you get caught up in a bind, you know you get caught up into trouble. We have that instinct. <clears throat> some of us here may have, a, may have grown up and anytime you got, you know, you had something in front of you, you had a problem, your instinct was to fight because that's all you knew how to do. You just knew you were going to fight. I'm just going to get mad. I'm going to get angry. And when I do that, it scares people away. They back down. They know I'm serious. Or maybe it's, some, maybe it's financial. Maybe you're loaded and <clears throat> you know that that's always going to be there. And you could, you, could de- you could depend on that when you have that, when you have that problem. Or maybe you're not, you have a little bit of a nest egg. So I'm going to trust in this. <clears throat> the reason that this one single verse, I believe, really jumped out at me is because each of us have, and, 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 I, and I know it's probably something you could think of right now, we have a cup in front of us. Some painful thing that we have to address. Some painful thing that we have to drink, that we have to consume. Maybe it's something that we have to do. Maybe, maybe it's a task that you have to do. Or maybe it's a pain of loss of someone in your life. Maybe it's being humbled before God. Maybe you need to humble yourself or wait on the Lord for something. I remember a friend of mine who uh, we used to minister to in jail. He used to say, Pat, this is my cup. I have to get through this prison term. I made a mistake and the Lord is allowing me to preach his gospel in prison, but I made a mistake and it's the cup that the father has put in front of me and I have to drink it. So we're going we're gonna to examine this one verse and see how not only we can look at the cups that we have to drink in our life, but how we could, because this is what it comes down to, fully rely on God during these challenging circumstances. How can we drink the cup and at the same time, knowing that we're consuming it, we, we imagine that it's a poisonous cup and it's going to kill us. We're waiting for it to take effect. I never, it's like trying to give my young boys his, his medicine when, when he's sick, you know, when, especially when they're little. The word, I mean, it's, the, it's absolute chaos in my house when it's time for medicine. We mix it with everything, chocolate, syrup. I could put a pound of ice cream in this little bit of medicine. He doesn't want it. But I'm the same way. If I get sick or I have a tummy ache, I know I have to, I love apple cider vinegar. But it's that cup of apple cider vinegar that is so absolutely difficult to swallow. And, and, but I know that if I have to endure it, it's going to ultimately help. I know I'm going to trust that. And I believe that's what God wants us to do despite our practical solutions at our disposal. Like Peter with the sword. Peter's got the sword right there. Imagine what would have happened if Peter started 
doing, uh, you know, a Steven Seagal, you know, sort of Jason, Jason Statham sort of thing with the sword and just take everybody out and they all fall down in the garden. Jesus would have said, what are you doing? I, I, I don't want this. But Lord, it's so practical. I practiced, you know, I know all the moves. No, no, no. This is the cup that I have to drink. See, real trust in the Lord, true trust in the Lord isn't praying to the Lord. It isn't saying, well, okay, I'm just going to let go and let God. It's completely 100% handing over a situation to God and all of the things that attach to that situation. So it's not just saying, I'm going to pray and give this over to the Lord. It's giving it over to the Lord. You know, and it's like, son, give me the remote control. And he, you know, he hands the remote to me and he's holding on to it, you know, and I'm pulling it and he's pulling it, you know, let go, hand it over and trust those channels to me. That's what God wants us to do. Despite what we have at our disposal, there comes a time where that cup has to be drank and we have to follow through. So how do we fully rely on God during these challenges, uh, these challenging circumstances, despite our obvious solutions? Well, again, drink the cup and trust the Lord. But how? So I, uh, thinking through this, I, I, I love David's stories because David, we can really go to David for pretty much anything and we could find something because uh, David is that prototype of, 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 the, of the Messiah to come. David was that shepherd boy. David was the little ruddy guy with red hair who had all these older handsome brothers who just went out and tended the sheep and didn't think God was going to use them at all. But little did he know that God had an amazing plan for him to be not only the ruler of Israel, but to be a man after his own heart, a man after God's heart, seeking after it. Like you would if you lost money here, you're looking around. He sought after God's heart. And God said, you, when I look to and fro throughout the earth, David, you're you're a guy whose heart is leaning over to me. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. He was a man of war. David was a brutal warrior. David made a lot of mistakes, but God guided his heart where he worked with him through it. And he gave him the grace to drink the cups that he had to drink and also to be the person that he had to be. And I believe that there's a couple of uh, examples here that I would like to give you. So I'm going to give you three ways that we can do this. Three ways that we can fully rely on God during difficult circumstances Despite our swords that we have packed away in our pockets and buried under our beds and all the other backup plans that we have, there's three ways. The number one way, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, put away your sword. Now that seems quite simple and trivial, but put your sword away. Are you holding it now? Is there a cup that you have to drink and now you're looking, wow, I'm supposed to be drinking this cup, but I am relying on this other way, on this other plate, this other way to get around this other than the way that God wants us to do it. You see, Peter is like us. We're often confused about the will of God, even though we hear it from God. Jesus told him what was going on. 
but we don't know the heat of the moment, whatever the case is. We're not all at our full, we're not nowhere near our full maturity in Christ. Think about where you were a year ago or when you first came to know the Lord and where you are now. There's all these differences, yet there's so many similarities as well. God hasn't changed. He's changing us. But Peter, he was confused despite living with Jesus, despite hanging with him for three years. Hope that makes you feel good. However many, however long you knew the Lord, if you're still confused, that's okay. God, God knows Peter is a great example. Peter was also reactionary. He was reactive. So I'm a fighter. I'm a, a big burly guy. I don't let anybody mess with me. Somebody starts messing with my friend. What do I do? I react. Instead of going, wait a minute, I need to exercise self-control. The Lord told me this is what had to happen. So Jesus tells him, Peter, put the sword in the sheath. Hide the sword. Put it away. Now, I'm going to give you an example from the life of David. David and Saul. Those of you who don't know, Saul was the first legitimate king of Israel. The Israelites Israelites asked God for a king. God gave him Saul, but Saul messed up, and God raised up David. And, and David, when he first was anointed king, he didn't become king immediately right away in the, in the actual visible throne, although he was God's king. It's a, lot, it's a nice little parallel to Jesus right now. He's, Jesus is king, but we don't visibly see him, right, yet. Just like Satan is doing his thing on the world. We don't visibly see him, but we know that he's involved in things against the things of the Lord. We don't see Jesus as king yet, but we know the scripture tells us that he's there. So when David was anointed king, he's like, it's going to happen, David. We're anointing you king because Saul messed up and now he's going to be taken out. And when Saul found out about this and saw David winning all these victories and having all this attention, Saul didn't like it. Saul started going a little crazy and he started taking his armies and going after David. And in 1 Samuel 24, we have a really cool example of David not trusting in his warrior mentality. David was a guy that could probably take out, you know, we we have stories of David taking out giants, the giants of Anak. We have stories of David fighting hundreds of people thousands of people, having groups of men that could fight thousands of people at once. David was a beast. He was not somebody that you would ever want to mess with. So David is sitting there in 1 Samuel 24, hiding from Saul, even though he could have took him out. He was hiding from Saul because he knew Saul at that time was still God's anointed one on the throne. So Saul's army is searching out for David. They stop in this little cave, and Saul says, hey, I got to go use the restroom. So Saul goes into the cave to use the restroom, and he goes into the very same cave that David and his army are hiding in. And David's soldiers are like, the Lord is bringing this guy right into your hand right now. And David's like, wow. And the guys are like, listen, just, let, just give me the word. I'll go take him out in one swift punch, one swift cut. And David says, you know what? 
The Bible says, do not touch my anointed one. We see that in 1 Chronicles 16, 22 and in Psalm 105. And apparently this was something that David knew even before these were written. We cannot touch the Lord's anointed. So David's got a sword in his hand. He could take out the king and he knows he was already anointed. He knows where he's headed. What does David do? He crawls up and grabs Saul's robe and cuts a piece off. Saul leaves. He gets back with his people. David goes out and says, Saul, I could have had you. But he withheld the sword. He obeyed God. He obeyed the Lord. He knew the word of God was that you shall not touch my anointed one. Yeah, but Lord, I'm a man of war. You've been blessing me and blessing me. You've been giving me all these people into my every war that David fought up to that point. He was winning. He was doing great. But that did, despite that practical solution, he still withheld. We see the same thing in, that's 1 Samuel 24. You look at 1 Samuel 25, David does the same thing with Nabal. Nabal was a guy who owned, a, he was a rich guy. He owned all these sheep and all, these, um, all this livestock. And David sent some people down to say, hey, look, Nabal, we've been pr- protecting your land, hanging out in the woods here. You think maybe you can give us some food? Nabal said, I'm not giving you any food. I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. So when David heard that, he goes, all right, saddle all the horses. Let's go take every single him out and every single male out in his camp. And he goes down there to go kill every single one of the males. But Nabal's wife heard about it and comes out and says, please don't do this. She brought him some bread. She brought him some some wine, and she says, here, please, just be satisfied with that. And David withheld the sword. He withheld the sword. And what happened? Nabal ended up hearing about what just happened with his wife, and he got a heart attack, and he died. So he waited on the Lord. He didn't get the food. He had to drink that cup. He had to be hungry, but God provided for him. We see the same thing in 1 Samuel 26 with Saul again. So what do we get out of this? Well, we put our sword away and we trust in the word of God. We trust in what, the, what God's word says over the practicality of your resources. Now, I'm not saying that God isn't going to call you to use your resources sometimes. He will. But when you have to drink that cup, when you have that painful situation in front of you, you know that you need to obey. What do you do? Are you going back to the resources to get around or are you following what the word of God says? You drink it down and you trust. You take the risk. What is your sword? Maybe you're thinking, well, what is my sword? It's where you go before you go to Christ. Where you go before you go to Christ. That's your sword. That's the self-reliance that you have to find. It's where you run when the cup presents yourself. It's your default mode. It's your default mode. For me, my my cup was my daughter going and leaving and going to college a couple weeks ago, months ago. Right? That's a hard cup. For those of you that have done it a couple times, you're like, ah, that's old hat for me. 
But the first time you let your, your little girl go away to college, again, if it was the boy, you know, it would be, it would be drop kicks. Hey, buddy, be praying for you. Take care. No, just kidding. The little girls, they're not supposed to leave, are they? That's a cup that I had to drink. Oh, I went to all my resources. Hey, listen, you can do college clothes. You can do it here. You can do it online. You can come here. You can come there. I think the Lord is leading you to stay home and, you know, all that stuff. Not that I actually thought that. But there are my resources because I can theologically make anything wrong. College is wrong. Come over here. Let me show you in the scriptures. You know, no, I'm joking. I'm saying that. But that's where my sword was. I didn't want to let them go. And that's the same way with every parent. We have to drink the cup and discipline our children. It's hard to do that. Very, very difficult. Seminary was also another thing for me. To finish that was a difficult cup. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know. I didn't know where God was leading me. I didn't want to do it. And then it became clear and I kept making excuses. Well, I can do this without it. And I can do this here and I can do this there. And then so many times the Lord spoke to me through his word, through others, biblically, and that was the cup. Now, again, this is, uh, these are simple examples. Sometimes they're not that easy. Sometimes they're very, very difficult. So you have to analyze that. Put your sword away <clears throat> and trust in the word of God. Number two, how do we do this? Well, we, we put our sword away. Number two, we put our experience and our relationship with God over the practicality of the sword. So Peter was not doing that. Peter had experience with Jesus and he had relationships with Jesus. What do I mean by experience? Well, he had experience with God. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He saw Jesus speak powerfully so that people were getting transformed. He had thousands of people following him. He never did anything wrong in his life. He was a holy man. He, he had an experience with the Lord. Peter felt the love from Jesus. Jesus and Peter were like this. Jesus brought Peter up to the mountain with John in the transfiguration. He said things to Peter. He had a tight relationship with, with God, like we do that have the Holy Spirit. He's living in us. We have Jesus living in us. We have experience with him. We have that relationship with him. And when we see that cup, we have to not default to our sword. We have to default to those experiences and relying on who this heavenly father is. Another example from the life of David. Now, this was before the David and Saul example. This was right after David got anointed king. Saul didn't even know about it. Samuel went and picked David out, poured the oil on him, and left. And David was like, what's all this about? No, you're going to be king. See you in a few years, you know. So there's this big battle going on. You know the story, David and Goliath. The Philistines are fighting Israel. Goliath is causing havoc. And David comes up and says, hey, what's going on here? How is this Philistine mocking the armies of God? And the, the rumor got around, hey, man, if you beat this guy, you're, you're going to be in. You're going to be top. You can marry the king's daughter. Your family will be treated better than any other family in all the land. So David says, you know what? I'm going to take this guy on. I can do this. It's Goliath. <laughs> what do you have? 
24 fingers and toes, big deal, right? Nine feet tall, big deal. I could take this guy. So when David went to Saul and said, I'm going to do this, what did Saul do? He gave him a sword. He said, here, put this bronze helmet on, put this armor on, and then take this sword and go fight. And David said, you know what? This doesn't feel too good on me, this helmet. This armor doesn't feel too good. And this sword, nah, I'm not going to do this. I don't want this. He said to Saul, he said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he's taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me, see, the Lord who delivered me, his experience and knowledge of God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. See, it was God who delivered him from that, not the sword. He said, he will also deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul said, go ahead, the Lord be with you, buddy. What does David do? He goes back to his experience. He was, a, he was a master at the slingshot, which I'm sure he probably used with the lion and the bear a couple times to slow them down. Who knows? That's speculation. But I tell you right now, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't the first time that he sunk a stone into a head of a beast. David goes to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And also I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistine this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of of the earth that all the, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and here he says it, and that this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into our hands. So David didn't take what he knew his easy way out. He reflected back on God. God delivered me from the bear. He delivered me from the lion. He didn't give me no sword and armor and do all this stuff. But yeah, David, this is it. This is, you know, go and do it this way. No, he's, I'm going to go and rely on my experience. And that's what we have to do. Rely on your experience and relationship with God. What do I mean by your experience? Do I mean the goosebumps? No. Do I mean, you know, some sort of miracle that happened? No. Although if that did happen, it certainly would be a good reminder I'm talking about remembering that your God, the God that you hated and that I hated before we were converted, the God that we did not want to rule over us before we were converted, died for us while we were his enemies. He died. He sent his living son to die on the cross. Fully God, fully man, while we were his enemies. How much more, Paul says, will he then grant us and be with us through the life that we live, to paraphrase uh, Paul. The life that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that's in us that gives life to this mortal body. 
So we have to understand that cup that's sitting in front of you right now. It was on God's desk first. And he saw that cup. And he said, oh, this cup is going to Gap? And that's going to be hard for her to drink. But I'm going to give it to her because of what I know is needed to be done in this situation. And put your name there. So he has given you the cup. Know that. Now, we could do dumb, dumb things and get caught in bad situations. We can make mistakes. We could have done stuff where God is, like, if we were God, we'd be like, I am not bailing this guy out again. But God will continue to give, to, to stand with us, no matter how many mistakes we made, no matter how many times we pushed that cup away. He then spins it and continues to keep using it for our good. But yet, when you drink that cup down, you are now God and you, you are going to even rely on him more that next time. Because you know it was for good. It was painful. It was bitter. It was disgusting. You didn't like it. It's, maybe it's a, a thorn in your flesh for the rest of your life. I'm not sure. Cups come in many sizes. Okay, Big cups, little cups, tiny cups. <clears throat> but we have to understand who's giving us that cup. That's what, for, that's what Peter, again, his, he forgot the goal for Jesus was for him to go to the cross. David remembered. What I like to do is write down each time the Lord does something special in my life. When I know, I mean, I could write it down all day. I'm not talking about, the, I'm not talking about that big broad strokes. I'm talking about times where I've really sought the Lord and God has orchestrated circumstances in my life. I know it was him and I see the love of God and at the same time, the spanking of God and at the same time, the nurturing of God. And it's like all these things that are happening that you're like, this is so the Lord and it's so biblical. Write it down. You don't have to write the whole thing down. It can be just a word or two near your desk or in your pocket or on your phone that reminds you when you've got to drink those cups, you say, oh, wow, this is, I remember this. Read it every day. Remind yourself on who it is that's giving you that cup. <clears throat> so put the sword away, number one. Put your experience and relationship with God over the practicality of your sword, number three. I'm sorry, number two. And number three... Resist the pride of the sword. Resist the pride of the sword. You see, I think this was a little bit with Peter had, because Peter was a prideful, boastful guy. You know, and almost like it was that situation where he's got a he's got a sword on him and people are looking at him like, come on, you're the tough guy here. Are you gonna do anything? So maybe Peter said, I how nobody messes with my friends. See, there's another situation here from the uh, life of David. This was David and Saul when Saul was out, still king. He was out fighting the Philistines. And God had told him he was going to die. And kings, when they went out to fight, they usually had a whole group of people protecting them. But one person was assigned as his armor bearer. And he usually was a pretty good fighter. He was somebody that would protect the king. He had shields. He had swords. He had all the, everything that he could and, and to protect them. And during this battle with the Philistines, Saul ends up catching a barrage of arrows. Like you see in the movies, they all come through and they just 
They pierced him through. And so Saul was about to die. So when Saul's armor bearer saw this, he knew you cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And he knew that if Saul survived, I'm sorry, if Saul died and he survived, he would probably be executed for failing to protect the king. That's the vow you take when you go up to be that armor bearer. So what does he do? The armor bearer looks over at Saul. This is in 1 Samuel 31, by the way. And Saul says, run me through. Get this sword, get your sword and finish me off because I don't want the armies of the Philistines to come in and see me because they'll make sport of me, he said. They'll, they'll drag me around town. They'll chop. I mean, it was very, very bad what they used to do. I mean, they used to they have the king and they did that. We see that in, in, in the same chapter. So when the armor bearer saw that, he said, Saul, I am, I'm not doing that. He took his own sword and fell on it. So Saul eventually gets killed, and, and they did come in and made sport of him. And after that, <clears throat> there's an Amalekite that comes by after the battle, and he sees Saul laying there dead with his armor bearer. So he takes the king's crown, and he runs to David, because he knows David's going to be king. He's got a little priest taking advantage of this opportunity. And David sees him coming, and he says, somebody's running towards us. Come on in. Let me know what happened. And David says, uh, who are you? <clears throat> and, and he goes, I am an Amalekite. And then he said, <clears throat> I'm sorry, wrong one. Bear with me right here. He says, I am an Amalekite. So, so here's, here's where I messed up. I started reading it mid, midpoint. This is... David and the Amalekite having a conversation. And the Amalekite is telling uh, David what took place, which was a lie, when he found Saul's dead body. He said, uh, Saul, <clears throat> he said, Saul was leaning on a spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. And when he looked behind me, he saw me and called to me and said, here I am. And he said, who are you? And he says, uh, I am an Amalekite. And then he said to me, please stand beside me and kill me. He's saying Saul said this to him. For agony has seized my life, <clears throat> and my life still lingers in me. So I stood beside him. He, this is the Malachite telling David this. I stood beside him, and I killed him, because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm, and I brought them here to you, my Lord. And he gives them to David. So... The pride of the sword gets this guy into big trouble. Because what is David the kind of guy? David's the kind of guy that knows the word of God. You don't ever lay your hand on the Lord's anointed, ever. Not even to take a step up. You see, this guy went out, told, told David that he had killed the Amalekite. Or I'm sorry, that he had killed Saul. And David turns around and ends up executing the Amalekite, killing the Amalekite because he raised his hand against God's anointed. Now, there's something very unique about the word Amalek. I don't know if you know about that from the Old Testament. The Amalekites, Amalek, was a descendant of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau. In all of Scripture, we know that Esau is the type of the flesh. Like, like, Jesus, like God said, if you're Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hate it. 
It's not necessarily that specific individual that God hated. He hated what Esau represented. Yes, and maybe even Esau, but it was more of what he represented where we read that in Romans 9. But the Amalekites have been viewed as a type of the flesh throughout all the Old Testament. Amalek was a grandson of Esau, and Esau obviously part of the type of the flesh, and they always warred against God. They relentlessly attacked the armies of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt from the Exodus. They attacked them near Mount Sinai. They also fought with Joshua. Joshua defeated them. They were also among the the people that Gideon fought, fought. Remember the story of Gideon? You see all throughout the Bible, the Amalekites fighting against the people of Israel. And we see this here the same way when we get application from this this guy's mistake of killing the anointed, it was pride. Pride in his resources. Pride in who? But what ultimately I believe he's trying to tell us is that this is really the key to drinking the cup and not depending on the sword. And that is dying to the flesh. Dying to the flesh. We can't resist taking things into our own hands sometimes. It's just so delectable. For us to do it. There's so much, there's pride that's involved in it, especially if we know what we're talking about, especially if we know what's right, what's wrong. We have the intellect, we have the knowledge, we have the skills. And that's what this uh, uh, Amalekite was like. But he is a type of our flesh when we trust in ourselves and we take things in our own hands. And this is, I believe, what Peter, what Peter was dealing with as well. He may win. You may win. You may cut off the ear, but it won't be of God. Examine your sword or swords, and you will see ultimately it probably ties somehow to pride. And no, again, your swords may come in handy, but when the Lord says, put it away, you must put it away. And this is following in Jesus's footsteps. This is exactly what Jesus did. Imagine the Lord of glory. I can't even say the most powerful person in the universe and all that stuff, because that's no way to explain who God is. He's God. He's infinite. He's eternally powerful. And yet he humbled himself and and came down into this microscopic environment to him and became a man with all the nerve endings and everything that we have, And he endured the cup that the father had called him to drink, the cup that we deserved. He did that. So how much more should we not swallow and drink the cups that are put in front of us? So summary, put your sword away. That's number one. What do you gravitate to when God presents you with the cup? Accept it, drink it, trust the word of God. Number two, put your experience and relationship with God over and above the practicality of your resources and sword. Understand who is giving you that cup to drink. It's the Father. And resist pride and submit with humility. This is just being like Jesus. Those who want to follow him must walk as he walked. That's what 1 John said. And it doesn't mean we, we have to be perfect because we know we can't be perfect. But even if we look at this and from, a, from, a, from a perspective of learning and following and modeling Jesus, 
It was submitting to the will of the Father. That's walking as Jesus walked, swallowing and drinking that cup. Now, what about, as we close here, what about if this is a difficult thing that you've struggled with, or maybe you're like me, where I sometimes feel, if I can't do it the way that I know God really wants me to do it and where I'm expected to do it, I sometimes back up and don't want to do it at all until I reach a certain level. You know, it's almost like saying, well, <clears throat> I want to run in this, in this sprint, but I need to, uh, before I can run in the sprint, I need to build up my legs, I need to build up my endurance, and I need to do all that stuff. And that makes sense. You should before you run in a sprint race. But God is telling you, you know what? You need to sprint and you have no legs and you cannot do it on your own. You can wobble and roll down that hill or you can stay still and know that I'm God. And I will take it. Just drink the cup. Begin to walk. But if you can't resist, you're what I like to, if, you're, if you can't resist that sword and you're always reaching for it and you, and you don't want to drink that cup, you're, you could be what I call a teeter-totter. Not the little teeter-totter potato things. Teeter-totter like a seesaw. You know, we're up sometimes and we're down the next time. We're going to drink the cup. I can't drink the cup. And if you're like that, it's okay. There was a biblical character that was like that as well. His name was Hezekiah. <clears throat> Hezekiah was the, one of the good kings of Israel. Hezekiah was around. He was the king when Judah, the lower part of the kingdom of Israel, and Assyria comes in to the northern part. Hezekiah is king of the southern. He watches King Sennacherib come in with the Assyrians who were brutal raiders. They were, they were just ferocious fighters and they wiped out northern Israel and then Sennacherib says I'm coming to Judah too Hezekiah so what does Hezekiah do he panics he panics and he's one of the only kings well there's a few of them but mostly he was the, probably the primary king that was ever spoke about that said he did right in the sight of God but here's what he does he goes to the temple I guess it like a chisel and a screwdriver. And he chisels off all the gold and the silver off the temple doors. And he says, just go give this to Hezekiah. Tell, or, or go give this, I'm sorry, to Sennacherib. And tell him that Hezekiah says, everything's cool, right? Just take this. Can we just be cool now? Just don't invade. So what, does, what, the, what happens? As soon as we trust in our own resources, as soon as we teeter-totter a little bit and we give in, guess what, guess what the king said? Oh, this guy's weak. Let's go head down and demand. So he takes the king's, the king takes all the gifts, but still goes down. And he says, Hezekiah, look, I know that you're afraid. And I know that you have this God that you think can deliver you. And I know your prophets are telling you this because he went to Isaiah and he asked them, what, what, what should we do? He says, don't believe your prophets. God is not going to deliver you. No God has ever delivered any nation from King Sennacherib of the Assyrians. And Hezekiah, finally, after teeter-tottering, it's a great little scripture, he prayed before the Lord. 2 Kings 19, uh, verses 15. O Lord, God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. You are, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made the earth, you've made the heaven. Incline your ear, hear, open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to reproach the living God. 
Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands, and they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods with the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, Lord, this is verse 19, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord. And thus, here it says, there's, uh, uh, verse 32, therefore, thus said the Lord concerning the king, he will not come to the city or even shoot an arrow. Wow, that was easy. So then it happened that night. The angel of the Lord went out. The whole Assyrian camp is camped outside of Judah, ready to come in. The angel of the Lord comes and strikes 185,000 of the Assyrians. And when the men rose up in the morning, all of them, all of their friends and everybody was gone. They were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home. He lived in Nineveh. It came about as he was worshiping in his house of the Nishrash God that he was killed with the sword. <clears throat> and then his son became sword or came about king in his place. So God, this teeter-totter, this king, this teeter-totter guy, he was, he was, he's known as the no king after him was, a, was like him. Second Kings 18, five to seven. It says he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept his commandments, which the Lord God had given Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went and he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So this to me is just an amazing picture. We can go on and on and on. When God gives you that cup, imagine right now being in this building with 185,000 soldiers that are the most brutal warriors in all the world are about to come in and destroy us. And God is saying to you, wait, don't go back to chip away at the, at the, at the temple. Don't go grabbing your, your swords and your armies and all that stuff. Trust in me and I will take care of it. So if you are a bit of a teeter-totter, don't matter. It takes this much faith. God will work through it. But trust in him. Seek after him. <clears throat> so let's pray. Father, we do seek after you. We do come to you for this ability to drink the cups that you put before us. Lord, as we prepare our heart to drink the cup of blessing right now that represents your blood, and to take the bread, Lord, that represents your body. I pray that you would give us a, an insight, a glimpse, Lord, of what these things represent. And Lord, I thank you so much for the cups that you do give us. Because I, we know that you are our loving, patient, gracious, merciful Father. Because of your Son, Jesus Christ, we can come to you and thank you. And in his name we pray. Amen. So now we are going to... Um, we're going to have communion. And um, I think in Luke 22, verses 17 to 20, it's, it's pretty neat scripture here as it relates to, this, to, to the content of this message. He said, talking about communion, and this was the same night that Jesus was pretty much, uh, that this happened with Peter. Just before that, he had taken a cup and he had given thanks and he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. 
And then in Acts 10, 40 to 41, we see uh, Peter saying, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by him. And it says to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So as we partake in this um, communion right now, as we partake in the, in the bread and, in the, and in, in the juice, know that we are to remember what Christ did for us. This is God preaching the gospel. He says, do this in remembrance of me. This is a foolproof way when we publicly meet that, we can pr- that Jesus knows the gospel is going to go out publicly. The bread represents his body that he broke, that was broken. His blood that was shed is in the cup. And that cup, that blood, is what he wants us to consume to remember the cup that he had to drink. But it's not just looking back. It's also looking forward to what this represents. Because he says, I will not drink it again until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. And so we have to, as he drank with, with his disciples after he rose from the dead, that kingdom being launched out. Now, we don't look back and say, wow, this is so, we don't look back in a sympathetic way. We look back in a joyous way. So we could look forward in the same way with anticipation on what God's going to do. So with that said, I'd like to ask Kevin, could you help me out with the, uh, with the elements here? And um, we don't have to play music or anything like that. We'll, say, we'll save our last worship uh, song for, for after that. And um, those of you that are members here, those of you that have professed Christ, you're obviously welcome to partake with us. This doesn't, you know, if you're not a Christian and, or if you're at the point where you're, you're not ready to take this, you can just pass on it. No one's going to judge you. But at the same time, you know, God says to make sure we take and partake with a clean heart. So right now, as we're passing out these elements, prepare your heart. There's nothing special in these. These are symbolical and spiritual. But God does take it serious. He wants you to consume because what we're doing is we're consuming and we're remembering the most greatest, most amazing, most profound event in all of history. And that is our salvation in Christ's blood. So as we, put, as we um, pass these out, just please consider those things.